You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host today, Lady Lee. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Lee. My real name is actually Tracy. I forget that. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are joined by Max. Welcome, Max. Thank you. (laughs) So tell us where we can find you on the internet. So I'm, I'm, it's actually easy. It's four letters, F-I-E-R-T. So I'm F-I-E-R-T on Twitter or uh, fear.dev on my website. That's all, pretty simple. Awesome, that's perfect. And um, what what do you do these days? I mean, I know web performance, but like, is it just all consulting or? So I, I've been a consultant for, for my whole life. So I've never been an employee. So I've been a consultant my whole life. Uh, I have started as a web developer uh, like 20 something years ago, 25 years ago, almost 26. Um, and then I started doing mobile apps uh, around 2001. So before iPhone, before Android. Um, Around probably 12 years ago, I, I entered into the web performance field. So these days, I'm typically focused on web performance and PWAs or progressive web apps. I'm also doing native developments. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing trainings and workshops on Kotlin and Swift. But uh, more than half of my consulting is around web performance and, and progressive web apps. That's really cool because I feel like I'm always trying to convince people where where to like to actually invest in web performance mm-hmm. like can you please invest some money into web performance so people are coming to you though because they know to invest in web performance so like what like how and why like why are mm-hmm. why are they paying you yeah sure <laughs> well uh sometimes i have the advantage of maybe have some uh, name in the community. So sometimes I got into companies that um, they already know they need to do that, okay? But I've been also in that situation when you need to convince people that um, performance is important. And at the end, it's about money. So it's not about the sake of performance. It's not about like we are just geekies and we want everything to perform better. We We are also geekies and we also want to perform better, but that's not actually the real reason. The reason is about money. And if if that's difficult to convince, I know that's difficult actually. Um, or some companies, they don't actually understand. I mean, they open their website in their computers or mobile phones and they say, oh, it's fast. So how fast is fast? For them, it's fast. So uh, I think that today we have uh, some situations in the, um, in, in the community or in the ecosystem there is actually pushing companies to do it even if they're not convinced yet. For example, today on Android, um, uh, there is around 30% of the users using Chrome to navigate the web. They're uh, enabling data saver. So there is a switch. When you open Chrome for the first time, say, do you want to save data? And yeah, a lot of people will say yes. Um, When you have that enabled, there is a problem today. Not a problem, situation. If Chrome estimates that your website will be slow because based on previous data or based on the current network conditions, uh, it will switch to a different mode that is called uh, the light light pages. Okay, And when Chrome switches to that mode, your website will be rendered half in the server, in the cloud, in Google's cloud, half in user's device. 
Um, that means that, for example, you, are, you will not be in complete charge on how your app will look like. Some images might not be actually uh, rendering on the screen. Um, yeah, probably the company doesn't want that. So that's, I think that's one, uh, one nice push to actually do performance because your user will get the wrong UX. And that has nothing to do with 2G or 3G. You can right. be in, in 5G and if your, your website is not uh, well developed or it, it will, you will enter that mode anyway. So um, that's, that's one of the situations. And, and also today, for example, if you are creating a progressive web app, a PWA, and you want to um, publish that PWA in in the um, in the Play Store, for example, uh, you have a, a minimum requirements of performance. So if you don't comply with that, you might be rejected from the store. And also, performance, at least on, on the Chromium side, let's talk about the Chromium side. Um, performance is one of the um, the variables that the browser is using to actually give you more permissions over the over the browser and this is going to change over the over the next month i think so um things like even the pwa criteria so passing the pwa criteria which means the browser will offer you an installation uh, badge or or info bar so the user can actually say oh that's a pwa i can install this uh, right now i mean if you're slow it will work anyway but in the future that might not work so if you're if uh, Chrome knows that your website is slow, you will not pass PWA criteria. So at, at one point, it will be mandatory. Um, and today, of course, we've seen uh, reports from from the Google team, the search engine team, saying that it's becoming more important for SEO. So at the end, it's about money. It's about your 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 solution and your service. It's not going to work properly if you're not fast. Okay, that's totally crazy because, wow. <laughs> I think, you know, whenever I digest things about web performance, performance generally, right? Like it's on the web, right? So we're always talking about that. But all these things you're talking about, about how, um, you know, this Android thing and, and this like light mode and, you know, it and not being approved in the app store, like those are things I didn't know at all. And so I actually have one question because uh, we do do a lot of mobile development, right? Um, uh, but we've never run into this issue before. So do you recommend people actually developing their apps based on like that light mode or the, you know, the, the, the data saver mode? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, if, the, if the user actually enabled that setting, probably you want to do something about it. And uh, using a client hint, your website can actually know uh, server side and client side that the user has enabled that mode, which means that you should try to save data as much as possible. So it has to do with, uh, at, at some point, it's it's even around accessibility, right? So it's like, yeah, I, I, there, there is an issue, there is uh, a preference from the user that uh, she wants to save data. So let's try to to, to do that. And now it, even this is coming to CSS, so uh, there is a new media query where you can actually uh, like load different assets based on that settings. So if the user prefers uh, data saving, then you're going to maybe change the background or, or change what you're loading. Um, I know that from an author point of view, I mean, you are the author of the website. 
you typically don't like that. But um, I mean, I, I know that sometimes discussing this with companies, even with design teams, it's, it's difficult because they, they, they want to have the final word on, on how the, the, the website or the app looks like. But if you think about this, uh, right now on, on iOS, for example, on iPhone or iPad, you have reader mode. And there are many users that they're not actually looking at your design because they load your website and they click immediately to the reader mode if that's enabled. And reader mode, it's no CSS, just plain semantic text. And, and then we wanna try to reduce that as much as possible. So if you have your own reader mode, you will be you will be more in control on how everything is rendered and you will be happier probably. So um, that's why, yeah, I do suggest to actually try to uh, honor users' decisions around accessibility, like font size, and uh, around re reduced motion, for example, that's another accessibility media query that we have available these days, or uh, dark mode, or on Windows, we have a media query for, um, for also for contracts, high contracts mode. So uh, it's it's good to actually honor users' preferences. And I think that users will be will be uh, will be thanking you that you are honoring their preferences, and that at the end that will give you more conversion within within your website and, and services. Sure. So what do we? Whenever I, I actually have weird thoughts about the PWA thing, right? So like I was on a, was a, it was a situation the other day where like a, a small service that we regularly use oh it was a, it was a, like the kids uh, at school they have like an art app right and they had an android app and they have a mm -hmm. website and they're a small company and they just decided look we don't want to support this android app anymore and they they ditched it and i mean this is just an app that displays artwork it doesn't really do a whole lot besides that and i thought to myself like man why didn't they make a pwa but on the flip side, so that's in that case, I just think to myself, well, then they'd only have one thing to maintain. It's a bit of heavy lifting. It's a pain to, to build, honestly, but they could do that. And then they'd only have one thing to maintain. But the, the flip side of it is then I think about like Facebooks, the, the Facebooks of the world or like um, other entities that are like big companies that have piles and piles of money. And like even like React Native is cool. I'm not slamming React Native, but part of me wonders like if I'm a company that can literally, I'm just like built out of money. I could literally build my buildings out of piles of $1 bills if I wanted to. Like why Like why bother to try to come up with some sort of unified, and I know React Native is actually building things on native, but like even that where it's like, oh, I'm gonna build something for mobile that works on every platform. Um, I just think to myself, like, do you need like a PWA or do you need like a web app and then this like all in one native uh, mobile solution? Or could you seriously just hire people to specially develop for each platform and, uh, you know, call it a day. Like that's- Well, so if you have the money, if you have the money, right. probably uh, you can say, unless unless you wanna take advantages of some other situations, probably, yeah, working with, with native will be good enough for you. But what situations I'm talking about, uh, right now, for example, we are, we are shifting to a more transactional app mechanism. So, um, more transactional apps are, are becoming popular. And for example, app clips on iOS, it's actually going on that direction, but that's not a standard, it's only for iPhones. 
And right now, QR codes are probably the answer. And when you when you read the QR code, you go to Safari or you go to Chrome, you go to a browser. Right. So, uh, and this is opening uh, the more opportunities for for the web uh, as a platform. But it's true that now, right? We can we can separate the the app world in like two big big worlds: the big names, the apps that are in the top charts, and then the long tail. Uh, on the long tail, and probably that our app is under that 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 world, that universe. Right. Typically, they don't have the budget to. Maybe they have the budget to create the native apps, but they don't have the budget to maintain those apps. They don't have a team. Right. But most of the time, they have a team working on the web, and that happens also to I know a, a small restaurants or a small uh, yeah, yeah. coffee bars. So, uh, do they need a native app for what they are offering? Um, most of the time, those apps uh, are just consuming web services and web content. So they're just downloading images and JSONs from the web. So uh, doing a native app means that you're kind of creating your own browser for your own data. Like it's, it's like a custom browser. Right. And I think that for those situations, PWA is uh, it's it's a good like solution because it's cheaper. If you're doing the right thing that not everyone is doing the right thing. But if you're doing the right thing, the experience is just the same. The user will, it's just an app. So after it's installed, you don't know if it's uh, web or no, you don't care as a user. Now you can also ship that app within the stores. So it's also a possibility. And then for those situations, it's 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 probably a good idea. I, I've seen native apps for, for even for train stations, which is kind of weird. I mean, yeah. Penn Station in your, in Manhattan has its own native app. So do you need uh, like a, an Android app and an iOS native app for a train station? Um, so I think that sometimes we are overthinking those apps, and that's probably that's probably where I, I feel like the the web app uh, world fits better. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Now it's now it's fighting with uh, maybe looking looking to the future. I'm not seeing React Native as as the winner. I'm seeing Flutter as the winner. Uh, that is kind of uh, on the same on the same side. Flutter is 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 getting bigger and bigger every month, and it's going to, going to probably replace React Native. This is personal opinion, but yeah, we also have that that you can actually ship native apps and also for yeah. the web. So you can actually yeah, yeah. Uh, deploy to the web if you want from from Flutter. I had a I had a silly thought about Flutter the other day, which is it's Dart and Flutter. Like someone like was like, oh look, it's Flutter or Dart. Slash Flutter actually said it right there too, and I thought, man, they really missed an opportunity to call it Flart. But mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> this is too. Well, but yeah, so the but like so there's there's Pinterest. I'm sorry, Tracy. There, there's there's Pinterest. They have a PWA, mm-hmm. and their PWA is arguably snappier than their actual native app, which is really interesting to check out. But like the thing where you're talking earlier about like where they're going to raise the bar for making PWAs installable on the Play Store. I'm concerned that that might be too early because I feel like creating a PWA is still painful enough that most people don't do it or wouldn't do it right if they did try to do it. Mm-hmm. And until you can get people to do it and do it right and like make it like, here's the de facto choice. You're going to make a website. Guess what? Like you're going to make a website PWA by default. Like here's the default way to do it. And like you actually have to like you actually have to do something really stupid to not accidentally make a PWA. Right. Like. It, they need to go there first and get people doing that before they start saying, oh, wait, sorry, your PWA isn't, isn't good enough to make it on my store. Because I feel like if they if they start that too early, it will actually, 
um, hurt the adoption of people creating. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in that case, the store is the store review team is is the responsible of that. Right now, today, on on App Store, you have like a more critic review system that's not going to allow any any crappy website in the store. On the Play Store, yeah, unfortunately, maybe the review there is, is more flexible. Right now, there is a, there is a, a requirement that is written in the docs saying that you should be you should perform at least 80 in performance in Lighthouse to actually be in the Play Store, but no one is actually re, even enforcing that. So on the Play Store today, you can actually take most of the PWAs out there, unless it's adult content or something like that. It's not like um, available in the store typically, unless you have that situation, every PWA that you create, uh, you, it, it can be published in the Play Store. Yeah. Well, there's also, um, <clears throat> I think when PWA started, right? It was like, oh, PWAs are so cool. Let's do PWAs. And then I feel like the, you know, the developers feeling like they need to do PWA kind of fell off a little bit. So like, what what is that? I mean, where is PWA now? Because I feel like in the general dev community, people are like, meh, that's old news. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh yeah. my God, everything needs to be a PWA. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that uh, that's true. Well, first, I think that you probably are talking about when the PWA term was coined, that was around five years ago, because the concept was actually available before that. I mean, it was even presented by Steve Shops in 2007. That was the original way to create iPhone apps. Um, I think that today we are in, in the moment, of course, it, it, it got its hype uh, originally, even, even when you were uh, looking at Chrome Dev Summit uh, schedules, most of, the, most of the sessions had the PWA world in the title. And after three years, yeah, that kind of disappeared. Okay, so it's like, um, I mean, it's the, the term is still there, but it's kind of okay. Let's see if it, it if it um, if it works by itself, kind of, kind of. However, uh, it's true that um, there were a lot of um, enemies of the PWA works, and I think the same companies that were promoting PWAs, including Google, were actually enemies at the same time. So Chrome, it's kind of a big universe. It's not just one company. And we have we received we have been receiving mixed messages from from Google as a company about PWAs. So the Chrome team is actually full into PWAs, of course, pushing them a lot and doing everything to promote PWAs. But then when you go to uh, the Android team, they never mentioned PWAs as an option. If you go today to the Android developer website, they can tell you that you can develop apps for Android using, uh, of course, Java, Kotlin, using uh, Flutter. I think they have a link even to React Native and other frameworks. They never mentioned the web. And uh, they have a, a web app section where they, I think they have a, a mention to PWA that seems to be written like 10 years ago. Um, so when you look at that, I think that's part of the problem that um, the, the platform didn't convince yet everyone. And for a company, when you're investing, Okay, you need to make a decision. You say, mm, that seems a little risky. Okay, if if the Android team is not actually supporting this uh, officially. In fact, uh, Chrome Dev Summit uh, 2020, it's the first um, the first moment where I see the play the play team, so the Play Store team, actually talking about 
uh, how to publish PWAs in, in the Play Store. And they have a session on, now they're adding the, the billing API. So you can actually charge people or subscriptions with your PWA. And this is the first time the Play Store is actually uh, saying, yeah, we are accepting PWAs. It was kind of a, a hidden trick so far. And I think that's one of the reasons of why the term is, I mean, it's there. But some companies are saying, well, yeah, maybe if we can, if you have a web app and it works fine, and it's, it's not like a big effort to convert that into a PWA, we will do that. On the other side, without too much uh, hype, there are many companies doing PWAs without actually making too much noise. For example, Adobe has released uh, Adobe Spark, that is like their, their tool that they have to kind of create uh, images and artwork for social networks. And now it's a PWA for, for desktop. So they have a native app for mobile devices, and now it's a PWA for desktop. And the desktop is actually a nice uh, way to, to see how PWAs can be important because most, I mean, Adobe was creating desktop apps for a while, of course, but a lot of other companies are not used to create desktop applications. They're more on the, on the, on the um, upside. And this is, for example, a news that I have just realized that Apple has shipped a PWA. So, uh, which is weird, okay? Because it's uh, it's not actually something that they promote, but the Apple has a website, it's called App Store Connect. It's the website that you use to publish your native apps to the App Store, okay? So if you have an app in the App Store, uh, you use App Store Connect. App Store Connect today, it's a PWA. I have that one installed in my Mac as a desktop app from Chrome. So Apple has also created progressive web apps. So there are a lot of companies, Microsoft, Apple, Adobe, that are actually investing in, in PWAs. And that means that like silently, it's like starting to grow again, slowly, slowly. And I think there is another, another market that will push PWAs next year. That's uh, cloud gaming. I'm not sure if you have heard about all the cloud gaming solutions that are appearing, like Amazon Luna, okay, the X Cloud from uh, Microsoft, yeah, uh, Google Stadia, and what the problem that they have, all of them, Nvidia also has uh, a game solution. The problem that they have is Apple is rejecting them from the App Store, so they cannot be in the App Store, and all of them are doing PWS. So Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Google and NVIDIA, so all the cloud game providers are doing PWAs. And for iOS, at least, so on iOS and iPadOS, you, you will be able to, to play your games, but within a PWA. So I think that that's also going to, to push the platform a little bit from, from a use of mind and also from a tech point of view, because probably some bugs will appear at that point. And because you're talking about big companies, they will probably push more on, on on browsers to solve those issues. And that's for next year. So I think that um, I think that the platform will still continue evolving and probably growing, not like an explosion, not like an explosion, of course, but uh, slowly it, it will it will start getting more 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 advocates. Uh, and slowly, uh, slowly, slowly, yeah, slowly. Yeah. Slowly, React Native will disappear and Flutter will take over the world. That's I, that's my <laughs> that's what I'm seeing right now. So I'm seeing yeah. a lot of companies that they were doing React Native that they're not happy about it at this point. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. 
so I don't want to say this so clear, but there are a lot of companies that they that are not trusting Facebook, so mm -hmm. they don't trust Facebook, or or they, or they, they think it's a big risk uh, mm -hmm. that Facebook is, okay. is a company behind the platform, um, and they they want to move and, and they find in Flutter as as a solution to that. And they're yeah. trusting more in Flutter. Their problems might be gone today. Today they announced they're going to break apart Facebook. So yeah, because of that whole antitrust stuff. Oh yeah. my gosh. It's like well yeah. <laughs> what because you... of Instagram and, and what <laughs> Yeah, you can't you can't go buying all your competitors and then have people not notice that. I guess. <laughs> so I have a question about um, you know, uh, web performance generally, right? Um, you know, all of these things are kind of tied to web performance, but you know, you have like two sides of web performance, I feel like. Number one is Lighthouse, which is easy, accessible. Everybody can pull up their, you know, their score, whatever. And then you have like the deep, you know, performance wizards who are doing mm -hmm. like crazy amounts of, you know, whatever, I don't know, stack tracing and this and that or whatever. So like, you know, for the people who go, Okay. Okay. I, I get Lighthouse. I got it. Like, what's the next step? What should they learn next? Okay. Yeah, that's 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 something a good point. So I think that uh, we are in the situation where Lighthouse, of course, was was really was really great as a tool, and also was really great to actually push people that even didn't like performance or didn't understand performance to actually do something because they had a bad score. Okay, and the bad Lighthouse score uh, become. Uh, some kind of uh, a goal within a lot of uh, teams and companies. Okay, so you need to get at least 80 or 90 of Lighthouse. So do wherever you need to do that. So that was really good. On the other side, that also has uh, a couple of disadvantages. One is that you're actually optimizing for Lighthouse and not for your users. And while, yeah, we are trying to match both goals, it's not always the same thing. And that's that's one of the problems that I think that we have with Lighthouse. Lighthouse has too much power because uh, people are just optimizing for, for, for the tool. And also we have the problem that Lighthouse is changing every six months and they're changing how they're measuring your score. So in fact, I, I was just reading uh, this morning the HTTP Archive Almanac from 2020 where there are a lot of uh, um, data about how 2020 looked like from a web perspective. Um, they're talking about performance and how, uh, uh, in average, every website um, lost around, I think it was 15% of their Lighthouse score after Lighthouse passed from version 5 to 6. Why? Because they changed the metrics and they changed the, the weight of every metric within the, 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 the final score. And so the problem is that, yeah, if you are optimizing for the tool, okay, Sometimes you can make tricks to just trick the tool, and you're not yeah. understanding why are we doing this. We are not doing this for for the the tool. We are doing this for the user, and and that you need to actually understand web performance. You need to understand the metrics. What what are we measuring? How to measure that, and why uh, you have a problem on on that particular metric, and yeah, that has to do with learning about web performance, the the basics, not just following the the checklist from Lighthouse, but actually using systems like uh, web page test to actually get the wonderful chart of your loading process, understanding what's going on, why uh, there is a there is a lag somewhere, 
uh, finding the problem and solving the issue. And yeah, that needs performance engineers, or at least uh, having some some uh, learning, so investing in some learning on, on, on web performance. So I think that if you have, if the only thing that you know is Lighthouse, the next step without expending money is actually to learn to use web page test, webpagetest.org. That is uh, like an open source solution that it has a free uh, server that you can use on that website, but you can also download that and create an instance in your infrastructure that will let you uh, understand the, the performance of your site. And then, of course, then you have commercial solutions that will offer you more insights and analytics about what's going on. But um, from a simple perspective, I think that's the next step. So after Lighthouse is web page test. Yeah, uh, the the point you, you said about optimizing for the tool also, at least there was another thing I was thinking about whenever we're like, oh, well, if, the, if they're going to pin your ability to get into the Play Store based off of your Lighthouse score, like that, what that's really going to do is it's going to teach people how to trick Lighthouse, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're going to be like, okay, well, my app's pretty big and heavy. So what I'll do is I'll have HTML that loads a couple of things and then waits like two seconds and then actually loads the real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Just like, it was like, wow, look, I got a score of a hundred. And meanwhile, it took 10 In seconds fact, to load there the is a trick. There is a, there is a trick that even big companies were, were using. I'm trying to remember. I think that was American Airlines. I'm sorry if that wasn't the case, but I think it was AA.com that uh, a few years ago, they had a service worker that was empty. And the only thing that they had is an event listener from the fetch event. That is the one that you use to make an offline capable web app. But it was an empty event handle. And the reason to do that was just to pass Lighthouse test. And Lighthouse was saying that you were a PWA. Yeah, you're a PWA because you, you, you had the handler for offline access, but you were not doing anything there. So actually it wasn't offline capable. So it was just tricking the Lighthouse or the PWA criteria tool right. just to pass that, that barrier. But that's because you don't understand your goal. Your goal is not the tool. Your goal well, is user experience. I don't think it's that people don't understand the goal because it's kind of like tests too, right? Anytime you tell a developer, like for example, there's a lot of consultancies that have these deliverables, like you know, 90% test coverage, right? 90% tests has to have to pass or whatever. Um, well, it should probably be a hundred, but <laughs> they're like, oh my God, what do we do? Okay. We have to write like, you know, test coverage for 90% of our thing. And then all of a sudden you, you dissect into it and you realize that like all of the tests are doing nothing. Yeah. Like the code, <laughs> code coverage. Yeah. Code, code yeah. covers are like, we have to, we have to exercise 90% of our code in our tests. Yeah. And so then yeah. someone will just, someone will literally just write a test that like calls a bunch of things. And then it's yeah, I, I, yeah, I think in that case we have, two, we have two, two groups of people. We have cheaters, and you will always have cheaters. Yeah. But we have a lot of people that they don't, they didn't understand why yes, yes. we were doing this. So they didn't understand the goals. But I, so I, I think, think I we think should start a website you, called Lighthouse Hacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think whenever you, you get like a, a, a governing body or some entity that's like they, they impose some arbitrary score or rules upon people then what that does is it creates a whole culture of cheaters, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, okay, well, you're telling me that I have to, you know, get, I, I have to, I have to fall in line this one robotic way. It's, it's like, uh, if you go to any technical person that lives in China, they all know how to VPN from their phone. Like every single one of them knows how to get around 
the great firewall. Like it's it's the the same sort of thing. So if, I think if they start putting the arbitrary score in there, it'll either a discourage uh, people from getting into PWAs, which they should get into them. Uh, which you know, there's enough discouragement there already because it's it's difficult to get set up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. So Microsoft Microsoft created some sort of uh, a lighthouse alternative. I don't want to say competitor alternative. It's called WebHint. And what I like from WebHint is that they don't give you a score. So they give you uh, a list of practices uh, with a yes or a no that you're good, you are kind of, or you're bad. But they don't give you a final score because part of what they said uh, is that. You should take that and and take all that information and maybe create your own goal because every every website every web app is different um, because the what you are targeting different users uh, everything is different so you should create your own uh, score system and you also of course you can do that with Lighthouse as well if you use the CLI or if you connect that with your with your CI system then you can create your own goal but yeah most of the most of the developers are just uh, uh, using the score from they get from the browser. You know, I, I kind of wonder, I haven't I haven't played, and I know I'm focused a little bit too much on this lighthouse, and I haven't played with it much, but I wonder if, if you had just like, here's my HTML page, like you went back to like 1998 and you're like, here's my blog, it's literally just an HTML, static HTML page, and uh, I've, I've set the cache on, you know, my server that's hosting it to be like a year, like it's, it's definitely going to get cached. And I wonder what kind of lighthouse score that gets because you'd think be, it's going to work offline, right? Like you cached it, so like. Well, actually, if, if for the offline part, it's not going to work because the offline, the offline test, it's actually uh, clearing your cache because the offline, the browser's uh -huh. cache, the browser's cache, um, it's not the same as the 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 cache storage API. So the browser cache is not actually guaranteed. So it might be there or not. So. Lighthouse will not give you a, your offline, but from a performance point of view, offline is not a goal. So on the PWA uh, score, it, it's important, but not for the performance. Yeah, so funny. if you take a, if, if you take my first website that I did in 1996, it's probably giving me 100 in performance. It will say it's not a PWA because right. it's not offline, but from a performance point of view, it will give me 100% because it will just look at the now the web vitals, that's the core web vitals. These are the new metrics created by by the Chrome team. Evening again. Everyone's so excited about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in you seeing uh, why Google or Chrome is pushing that so hard. So if you if you watch the Chrome Dev Submit 2019 on 2020, the, the sessions, I think they repeat core web vitals a thousand times. And they repeat the concepts. They explain core web vitals again and again and over again over the same day. So it's it's actually really important for for Google right now core web vitals. So uh, well anyway, and now it's part of Lighthouse. Lighthouse version six is actually using those core web vitals uh, metrics. And yeah, website from 1999 uh, we probably get the best score because probably the JavaScript available there is actually pretty small. Not a lot of resources are, are downloaded, just probably a couple of images and one CSS. And so it would probably give you a, a really good score. Well, there's this um, other, um, so I was talking to Ben Schwartz of Caliber, mm -hmm. and we were talking about Lighthouse and Lighthouse scores and things like that and just performance in general and uh, talking about like third-party JavaScript. And um, I think one of the coolest tools that 
I'm going to be implementing soon on the Vista website is uh, he has this, uh, like, it's I think it's called like a React chat loader or something like that. If you Google like React chat loader intercom, you'll find it. It's under the Calibre uh, GitHub uh, account. But what it does is it basically creates, I think it just like creates this image for you. So it looks like there actually is like a chat you know, functionality there, but until somebody clicks on it, it doesn't actually load, mm -hmm. which is really wonderful. So like you're kind of saving, um, you know, sa saving on the front end. You know, yeah, also, you have you have similar solutions for YouTube videos. Yeah. Because if you embed the YouTube video, uh, basically you're embedding an iframe with a lot of YouTube code and mm -hmm. maybe maybe 80% of your users will never click play. Yeah. So uh, that's why you can you can create like uh, a layer on top of that that's just an image. And when you start interacting with it, it's loading the real. Uh, that's so really smart. Like, that's really smart. Like I'm just thinking about, um, you know, some. Sh I mean, I, I do online shopping a lot, right? Even though I don't really buy yeah. anything, <laughs> go on the internet. And uh, lately, I've been seeing like, um, uh, you know, some online stores. They'll actually have video of the actual, you know, it's a dress, right? And they'll have a video of somebody wearing the dress and twirling around and things like that. And so like, I wonder if they're taking that into consideration, right? Most of these e-commerce stores have pretty bad performance. I can never load it on a plane, for example. <laughs> but it would be great to just have those images. And then like, unless you're actually clicking on something or interacting, then it'll actually load for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's idea. And, and mm -hmm. it, it's actually a good, a good solution, mostly when you have third-party content that is not the main content. So that means that most of your users will probably not use it. So uh, based on, on analytics, you can actually detect that and say, well, maybe we can just defer mm -hmm. that for, for later so we don't affect our, our core web metrics. Yeah. Um, also, maybe you don't need to wait for interaction. You can also just wait some seconds right? after the web is loaded I mean, and take Take uh, some empty space that you have later um, to to do that. That's also that's what important. The, what 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 was Google saying the core web metrics were these days? What's the core web vitals? And core yeah, web now, vitals. Now, now we are talking about web vitals. Yeah, yeah. and uh, in terms of metrics, they're, they're changing this every couple of years. To be honest, so they are they are changing the metrics that uh, we are actually for, uh, for a long metric. it was a long time it was like timed to interactive which oh right now time interactive you know, is kind of uh, like I mean, beating it's, it's on that still there. So hard. Yeah. it's a still there but uh, it's it's not there anymore now it's largest contentful paint uh that's yeah, the one that you're right, actually yeah. using. it's as layout shift layer right. shift it's cls content layer shift and first input delay um <laughs> that one is measuring like the the like the, the idea is to take just one metric for the initial load, one metric for interactivity, and the other metric has to do with CSS and how the layout shifts when when the page loads that that creates yeah. uh, performance issues. That's the core web metrics, but also you have other web metrics, not just the core web vitals, and you still have time to interactive, time to first byte, uh, and all the others um, uh, first first contentful paint or so there are other metrics, but Today, for Lighthouse, the most important ones are the three: are uh, largest content pay, first input delay, and content layout shift. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that for years and years now they've they've been on these like sort of startup metrics, which 
they're important. Don't get me wrong. They're, 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 if your app never loads and no one inter ever interacts with it, but like no one's ever figured out and not like I know a great way, but no one's ever figured out a great way to score like the actual user interaction. So you could have an app that comes up instantaneously, but then like the first time you type or click anything, it just bogs down. Like it doesn't do any, like, well, I think this, really delay, this FID metric is trying to achieve that. Uh, yeah. It's actually difficult because there are so many interactions that you can do on, on the web app, but it's difficult to uh, to make right. an automation on that on, on that measurement. So it's actually difficult, and it actually depends on how the user is is interacting with the app. So um, that's that's the problem. But uh, they're trying to measure that with FID. That's the one that. Uh, and yeah, this FID thing I haven't even messed around with yet. So that'll be fun to play with. Yeah. But Max, we're kind of running on time. So I'm just curious, like, do you have free courses anywhere or courses people can buy or books? <laughs> In my website, uh, firt.depthfirt.dev, mm -hmm. uh, there is a section learn. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of free content available, like uh, articles and books. There are some free books on, on web performance. I have one free book on web performance. Nice. Uh, also, I have a lot of uh, courses and workshops on plural site, nice. mostly, mostly on web performance. On, I'm sorry, on PWS. <laughs> on PWS, on plural site. And on, on web performance, you can find content on O'Reilly Learning, mm -hmm. so it's O'Reilly platform, and also LinkedIn Learning. So okay, I have some, some content on those libraries. Oh my goodness. Like, I don't want to be working uh, in the next few weeks, but you're gonna keep <laughs> busy checking out your stuff. Very exciting. Well, definitely follow um, Max on Twitter at Furt, and um, you know you can follow Ben on Twitter as well at Ben Lesh. And I hope everybody kind of digs into more web performance, and this inspires folks to look at things, especially WebHint as well. It's not something that's often talked about, but it is a really amazing. Um, tool and you know we have had the the webhead team come and talk about it before so uh so uh, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the modern web podcast and we hope to see you soon podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs.